blocking off the holiest place in a way that only God can do. For no human could rip the curtain from the top, which was 75 feet off the ground, all the way down to the bottom. God's presence no longer resides in the corrupt temple in Jerusalem. He no longer dwells in the temple of empty, heartless sacrifice. Now he dwells in the community of people who trust and follow Jesus the King. The Roman centurion proclaims what was said all the way back at the beginning of Mark's story. Jesus is the Son of God. This pagan executioner sees Jesus most clearly out of everyone present. Because Jesus died in this way, he is truly God's Son, God's ruler on earth. Though the leaders of his own people have rejected him, one unlikely man sees Jesus clearly through the suffering, the mockery, and the abandonment. This is the true Son of God, enthroned on the cross as the crucified King. Through his death in darkness and shame, he gloriously conquers evil and sin. The cross of Jesus. It is here as the crucified king that Jesus defeats evil and rescues humans by paying sin's penalty. We're going to kind of walk through what this means for us just on a daily basis. And again, what I'm trying to broaden our horizons with is two things. I want you to have a cosmic perspective of the good news of Jesus. This is good news for the whole world. But there's also an individual perspective. That Jesus' death is for your sins and for my sins. And that has practical ramifications for everyday living. Let's go ahead and start at the cosmic perspective. <clears throat> Jesus has defeated evil by his death on the cross. When I say that, you might think, well, that's kind of weird because I heard you say that as we went through the text, but I didn't see the text actually say that. Where does it say that Jesus is conquering evil as he's stripped naked, as he's beaten, as he's nailed to a cross? Where does it say that? Well, I just want you to step back and think with me about the book of Mark. How did it start? Jesus came on the scene, and he's proclaiming the reign of God is at hand. It's coming to earth. God is rescuing and renewing things. Believe and walk with him. Receive this. And then what does Jesus do in his ministry? He's casting out demons, and he's healing. Both of these things are not just powerful displays of his might. Like the, the, the miracles that he performs are not just to show, hey, I'm God in flesh. They show that, but the real heart of them is to show what God is doing. As demons are cast out, the kingdom of God is actually conquering the kingdom of Satan. So with every exorcism, Jesus has been rescuing a slave of Satan and drawing him or her into the kingdom of God. That's what all the exorcisms are about. God's kingdom is invading into dark places, and the light is pushing back the darkness. With every healing, Jesus is not merely just granting people comfort. He absolutely does that, but this is a symbol of God restoring what has become broken, perverted, and is covered with suffering. Every healed person is an evidence of what God wants to renew and restore in this broken world. 
Every healed person is the expression of what God wants to do to renew humans. This is God's reign coming in and eradicating evil and suffering. This has been the whole ministry of Jesus. And so that's not disconnected from Mark 15. The beginning of the book of Mark is not separate from the crucifixion of Jesus. These things go together. And it is at his crucifixion, it is on the cross where his work is completed. Jesus, by being crucified, by submitting to death on the cross, defeats evil in a final way. This might be hard for us to kind of grasp. How, how is that happening? And so there's, there's a helpful image. There's a guy named N.T. T. Wright, who's a New Testament scholar and theologian. He, uh, he, had, he put it this way, and I thought it was really helpful. He lives over in England, and so he knows about foxes a lot more than I do. Um, even though I just saw some foxes the other day in our backyard, which is cool. Um, but he, he said this, so when a fox is covered with fleas, they have a particular way of getting rid of the fleas. Um, over in England, they have a lot of sheep pastures, and the pastures apparently are hedged in with little hedgerows. And so what happens is the sheep, as they kind of shed their wool, it scatters and it catches up at the feet of the shrubbery along the edges of the field, right? And so the fox is covered in fleas, it's itching, and so what it'll do is it'll actually walk all the way around the field, and it will open its mouth and it'll gather all that wool into a big old ball in its mouth. So it'll go gather all that wool from around uh, the field, and then what it'll do is it'll go to a river, and it'll slowly step down into the river, really, really slowly until it's almost fully submerged. And then what it does is it holds that ball of wool in its mouth, and then it lets it go. And as it does that, all the fleas that are on it transfer to that ball of wool, and it gets carried on down the river. The wool is Jesus. Like he steps in and allows the full weight of evil and suffering to fall on him. See, this is how humans respond to evil often. They say, I'm going to use your weapons against you. And so warfare begets warfare. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. You see it over and over in all human civilizations. I'm going to crush what I view as evil by killing it. That's one response. Another response is to take the passive approach and dip dip out of society and say, hey, look, uh, I'm going to go back over here. I'm going to pray that God would solve all this, and I'm just going to kind of step out. That's the passive spiritual approach. And Jesus takes neither. Instead, Jesus steps in and stands in the gap and looks evil in the face and says, give me your best shot. And in receiving the full weight of evil and suffering, he carries it with him to the grave and defeats it. This is the crucified king defeating evil. This is the crucified king absorbing suffering on behalf of humanity. So that evil and suffering do not have the final word. And I get it. We look around and we see that evil and suffering continue. It's still a part of our everyday lives. But here's the thing 
that we need to take comfort in, that we need to rejoice in, and that we need to proclaim to others. God cares about what's going on here. The Syrian refugee crisis, God cares about that. What Assad has done to his people by using chemical weapons on them, the children who have died because of that, God cares about that. All the genocides that have gone on, God has seen that and is enraged by it. The racism, the oppression that is in our own country, God hates that. And what is his response? His response is to step in and receive the full weight of it in himself and take it to the grave and defeat it. Violence doesn't solve it in a final way. Stepping back and just waiting for something to go away doesn't solve it in a final way. Jesus has stepped in, received the full weight on himself, and put it to death and declared victory over it. Jesus has defeated evil as he's crucified on the cross. And so, for one thing, we just need to take comfort in the fact that God's not aloof and removed and distant from our suffering. How many of you have wrestled with the philosophical problem of evil? Okay, there's a few, there's a few. Let me just frame it like this real briefly. Um, If God is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he's perfectly good, how can there be evil here? He either must not know about it, he must not be good fully and really care about us, or he must be unable to stop it. This is typically how the argument is unfolded, the philosophical problem of evil. Typically what this assumes is that God is aloof and distant And just kind of twiddling his thumbs up in heaven with a lot better things to do while humans are down here suffering, committing terrible acts of evil, and walking in darkness. Guys, the message of the gospel is that God cares. And he cares so much that his son bore the full brunt of evil on himself to defeat it. God's not aloof. He's not removed. He's not distant. He stepped into the mess and he received the full weight of it himself for humanity to restore creation. This means that the good news of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the good news about God rescuing creation is not just for Christians, it's for all people. And so as you know a family member that is going through incredible, intense suffering, share the gospel of Jesus with them. My sister Two years ago, something like that. It's hard for me to remember because I often don't want to think about it. Uh, I had a daughter who, about two weeks after she was born, it became very clear that something was wrong. Uh, She had an extremely rare liver condition um, that led to eight months later her dying. And I will never forget what it was like to see the body of an infant limp and gray. And I will never forget feeling like this is wrong. This is wrong. Guys, this is real life. This goes on every day for people. The good news of Jesus is that that doesn't have to happen always. Jesus has come to defeat 
evil and suffering. There are wrong things in the world. And God's response is to send his son to rescue in the midst of that. As people are walking through difficult times, share that with them. It's not about drawing them to be just like you. It's not about drawing them to think the exact same things as you. It's not about asking them to put on the same clothes and worship the same in the same way that you do at the same church. It's about saying, hey, God does care about all the crap that goes on here. And in fact, this is the whole reason that Jesus came and healed and taught about who God is, cast out demons, and then ultimately gave his life. It's so that you might know peace. It's so that this might be made whole again. This is the good news of Jesus, and it is for all creation. It is for all people. Jesus has defeated evil on the cosmic level. But at the individual level, he has come to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin. So whenever I say sin, a lot of times that introduces confusion. I realize that more and more as I talk to, uh, to different students. And so I just want to work with Jesus' definition. If you think back to Mark 7, uh, Jesus describes sin not just as acts that you do, uh, but he described it as a heart problem. He said, the heart is corrupt, and from it come many dark things, evil thoughts, lust, adultery, theft, murder, slander, pride. All these things flow from a broken heart, from a corrupt, twisted heart. This is where sin resides. Why is that important? It's important because sin is not just a mere behavior problem. Christianity is not just you about you changing the way that you act. Christianity is about God intervening and initiating in love towards you so that your heart might be made new and so that you might then live differently. All humans are born into this world with a perverse, corrupt heart. And Various evil acts flow from that heart. Jesus' death on the cross has paid the penalty for you and for me. For the things that our hearts long for and desire and for the wicked things that flow from our hearts. You might think of it like this. God's wrath being poured from heaven is just immense fire because he hates evil. This is an image drawn from the Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah, when God judged those cities. Fire was poured down from heaven. It's an image of God's wrath. There are two options facing every human. Where will you stand in that day? Will you stand out on your own with a fireproof umbrella and wrapped in a fire blanket and say, no, I got this, I'm good? Or will you take shelter in the king who was borne the penalty for you, and the king who has paid everything that was necessary, and the king who has absorbed the wrath of the Father on your behalf, there is shelter, there is peace, there is mercy and love offered to you in him. Will you stand on your own, or will you run to take shelter in him? That's what trusting Christ is all about. Yes, God hates evil. Yes, 
God hates sin. Yes, God will judge sinful people who refuse to repent. But he has made a way for you to receive grace. He has made a way for you to be protected, to be preserved, to be renewed. And it's by taking shelter in his son. Guys, there's, there's no sin, whether it's past, present, or future, that remains unforgiven. There's absolutely no sin in your life that remains unforgiven. Back at the Lord's, uh, at, at, right after the Lord's Supper, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus tells the Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. And we talked about what that meant when we went through that passage, that the cup is this image for God's wrath. That God pours out upon wicked sinners who refuse to repent. And the image is, on the cross, Jesus takes that cup and drains it to the dregs for you and for me. There is no sin too great in your past. There's no sin that you're walking in right now. And there is no screw-up that you can make going forward that is uncovered by that that is left outside of what Christ has done. He's drained it too empty so that you might receive love, so that you might be forgiven, so that you might be welcomed in. Isaiah the prophet pointed forward to Jesus and he said it this way. He said, with his wounds, we receive healing. As he was punished, we have peace. He is the lamb the sacrificial lamb, and God has laid all of our sins on him and sacrificed him so that we might be drawn back, so that we might be welcomed as his beloved sons and daughters. Guys, if we grasp this aspect of Jesus' death, if we understand the cross, that Jesus paid the penalty for sin, our lives will be motivated by gratitude and not guilt. The Christian life is meant to be motivated, fueled by a love and a gratitude for God and for others, and not guilt. And I saw this transformation in my own life in a really significant way. I've shared with you guys before how when I was younger, I got introduced to pornography, and by the, end, by the middle of high school, I was severely addicted. It was a regular part of my life. And you guys know from the sins that you struggle with, you know that there's like that sweet period on the front end where it's like satisfying mostly. You feel a little bit guilty, but mostly it's satisfying. Uh, but if you've been in something long enough, you know of what I know, that sin loses its sweetness and it just becomes the bitter drink that you're addicted to, that you need, that defines you. And so by the time I was midway through high school, I hated myself. I was disgusted with myself. I hated the thoughts that went through my head. I hated the desires that I had. I hated the fact that I would vow, I'm never going to freaking do this again. And then 30 minutes later, I'd do it. I felt like I was going to go crazy. I couldn't stop. And my whole life was shaped by guilt. I felt like I can't, I can't draw near to God. I have to clean myself up. I have to get things in order in order to approach a holy God. And then, guys, it was, in, it was in college, and things just flipped for me. I was reading the Bible for the first time in my life, and I was reading through Matthew, and I was in chapter 8, 
And there's this beautiful scripture. I was sitting alone in my room. I'd been asking a lot of questions about Jesus. I wasn't sure if I really believed all this crazy stuff. And I read this passage. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Because I'm humble in heart. And as I read that, it was like, this is the closest thing I've ever had to a vision. It was like Jesus was standing in front of me, and I was standing across from him, and I had this gigantic burden on my shoulders that I've been carrying my whole life. And it's like he looked at me with eyes of love, not condemnation, but with love, and he said, hey, that can be removed from you, like right now. Like, let's trade. I'll take that and cast it far away, and you walk a new path with me. And I realized, my God, that's what this is about? Yeah. I'm down. I don't know all this crazy stuff about all the other things in the Bible, but I, I want that. And here, here was the most significant change in me. It wasn't that I was awesome and I never struggled with pornography again. It wasn't that I never lusted again. It was that I had gratitude for a love that changed my heart. I wasn't condemned as the final thing. God entered in and said, I know who you are better than you know who you are. And yet, the burdens that you carry, you don't have to carry anymore. It can be removed from you. And so, I did struggle. Frequently, I struggled. There was a sweet gap of two weeks where I didn't even think about porn after I trusted Christ at that moment. And I realized, and I was like, oh my gosh, something is really weirdly different now. But after that, I struggled. But here's what the difference was. Instead of saying, I need to clean myself up. Instead of saying, I can't approach God now because i got to just sit in spiritual time out for a week or two. Instead of that, I was able to turn and say, Jesus, you died for this too. Your blood covers this as well. Thank you. Thank you that you don't shame me. Thank you that you're not angry at me. Thank you that you don't walk around disappointed in me all the time. Thank you that because you suffered for me, I can receive grace. Thank you that because you paid my penalty, I can walk free from this. Guys, the Christian life is motivated by gratitude for what Christ has done for you, not guilt. There are too many of us who walk under the burdens that we choose to carry because we have not really turned to frequently our King who has paid everything necessary for us. So I just want you to think about your life on a daily basis. Like as you struggle with sin, as there's things going on where you know you shouldn't be doing, you're walking in it. Do you have conviction? Do you realize, hey, this is wrong and I need to stop? And then do you retreat? Do you kind of bow out from community? Do you stop reading the scriptures? Do you stop praying? Because you feel like you need to kind of get yourself in order. You need to put yourself in spiritual time out for a little while before you can approach God? Do you feel like your conscience is just afflicted because of how terrible you are? Do you find yourself surprised, I've done it again? 
If you find yourself thinking those sorts of things, living in that sort of way consistently, you're living under guilt. Your life is motivated by guilt. What it looks like for a, a believer is not perfection. It's not a total absence of sin. But what a believer can do is, as you recognize sin, recognize this is wrong, and it grieves the heart of God. And then quickly turn and say, but it's been covered. It's been paid for. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm spared. Thank you that I don't have to carry this. Thank you that I can walk free from this. And as you cultivate that, as your mind turns more quickly to turning to what Jesus has done for you, instead of just focusing on your own failures, your love for him will grow. Your gratitude for him will grow. And the cross will make a whole lot more sense as to why it was necessary. It's a strange thing that even here in the Bible Belt where many people can say Jesus died for us, the significance of that is just lost on so many of us. Many of us are just shaped by sin. We just carry the weight of our guilt. And others of us believe that Jesus died in some way for us, but that hasn't come to a personal level for us. Guys, on a daily basis, we can be reminded by the crucifixion of our king that God does care about evil. He's not aloof. He's not distant. He hasn't forgotten. He's enraged by it. But what he's done is he's absorbed it in himself to defeat it. He's rescued his creation. This is news for everyone. And then on an individual level, the things that we commit against God, the destructive acts that we do against each other, the dark things that we keep hidden away, Jesus has paid the penalty for those things so that out of loving gratitude, we might walk a different path with God. Let me pray for us. Our Lord, we'll never fully understand what you have done for us. We'll never fully understand the weight that you carried on our behalf. Sometimes our minds think we can imagine the pain of crucifixion. Sometimes our minds think that we can comprehend the weight of sin. But Lord, we just, we fall so short. Thank you that your response to our evil, that your response to our suffering is not violent judgment on the front end, but you come in in mercy and you suffer for us. Thank you that you have taken our evil acts. Thank you that you have taken the suffering that creation is under and you have taken it to the grave to defeat it. Jesus, I pray that our eyes would be more often drawn to you instead of ourselves, whether that's in prideful ways or in guilty ways. Lord, I pray that you would impress upon these men and women how much you love them. That as they see what you've gone through, they don't feel guilt, but they feel a deep gratitude. 
Help them as they walk through the rest of this semester. Strengthen them, encourage them, grant them everything they need. And as they seek to follow you, Jesus, I pray that your example of standing in the gap, of suffering on behalf of others, I pray that that would change us. I pray that it would shape the way that we live, that we wouldn't get angry and use violence, that we wouldn't step out and say, God, go fix that, I'm going to dip out. But instead, we would stand in the gap and do the hard thing, even when it hurts. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.